0: you have your Bibles, open to Philippians chapter 4. And before we read it, I just want to share with you this past week while I was preparing this very message from the text that says rejoice in the Lord always. On Tuesday I got word that a friend of mine from seminary had dropped dead with a heart attack. Right in the middle of preparing a message on rejoicing. Right in the middle of A message of the peace that surpasses all understanding. He just died of a heart attack in the night. Leaving behind a wife and two beautiful girls. And as I prepared this further, I just couldn't help but realize that this rejoicing that he talks about is a rejoicing that is not for our good times only. It's a rejoicing for our worst times. It's a rejoicing no matter what we face. And some of you are facing death. I received a text about 30 minutes ago that the one that we've been praying for, Ms. Catherine O'Banion, has passed away. Some of us may be facing sickness. Some of us, some of us may have relatives that are, 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 are going through sickness that we can't imagine. Some of us may be facing job loss. Some of us may be facing family problems. Some of us may be facing depression or anxiety. These words that Paul wrote are just as true for us in those times as they are for us when we are at our best. And what holds this this passage all together is the Lord's nearness. The Lord's nearness. And I was reminded this morning as we worship that the Lord is near to us. That the Lord comforts us, that the Lord is the one who brings about this rejoicing. And we can take comfort knowing that He is near. Whether it's a job situation, whether it's a family situation, whether it's sickness, whether it's death, He is with us. And that's the main idea that we're going to see is we can have joy and peace because Jesus is near. We can have joy and peace because Jesus is near. So join with me. Let's, let's read God's Word together. And if you would, please stand if you're able. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, Why should our hearts be discouraged? And why should the shadows come? When Jesus is our portion, a constant friend is He. God, we thank You this morning as we dive into Your Word that You are not a a, a distant deity, but Lord, You are near to us. You are our God, and we are Your people. And You are close to us. You care for us. You care for the smallest things. You care for the largest of things. And Lord, You never promise us that we're going to be wealthy, that we're going to be healthy, that we're going to experience our best life now. But Lord, You promise us that as we go through this thing called life, as we go through the fire and through the mess, that You will be with us And so Lord, I pray that this morning that we would all see Your Word and we would see a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. And we would see the joy that You bring to us. And we would live our lives consistently with it. That we would live our lives as beacons of hope, as beacons of joy to a lost and perishing world. And Father, this morning, if there's someone in this very room who does not know You, who does not have this hope, Whose joy is depending just solely on their circumstances, Lord, would you offer to them, would you show them that, that you care and that, that you are offering to them a joy that is abiding for eternity? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The Apostle Paul gives three commands, three Exhortations, three encouragements here. And the first one is the very first thing we see there to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And of course, rejoicing, the word he uses there means to be in a state of happiness and well being, to, to be glad. George Mueller said this he said, The, the first great and primary business every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. We should be happy in the Lord. We should be rejoicing. We should be filled with joy in the Lord. But I want to bring your attention to a key phrase that's there in the text. Rejoice in the Lord. The rejoicing that He calls us to is in the Lord. In other words, He's not not telling us like that, that pop song that was very famous a few years ago, you know, Uh, You know, because I'm happy. You know, he's not telling us just to be happy. He's not. He's not telling you to just sweep it under the rug and just be happy. No, he's he's telling you rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that the Lord gives us gladness that is independent from our circumstances. He gives us a gladness that goes beyond our situation. And what that means ultimately is that joy, hear this, joy comes not from our situation, but joy comes from Christ. From our relationship with Him. One scholar said this, the joy that Paul calls for is not a happiness that depends on circumstances, but a deep contentment that is in the Lord. Based on trust, in the sovereign, living God. And that therefore is always available even in difficult times. Our trust and our hope is in the Lord. We trust in the fact that He is in control, that He is sovereign. And because of that, no matter what we walk through, we realize as Christians that we walk under the sovereign hand of our Master. And because of that, we can have joy in whatever situation we're going through. Whatever situation. And notice he says, always. Rejoice in the Lord not just when things are going good, but rejoice in the Lord always when things are very bad. When you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. When the diagnosis comes back cancer. When you think, I'm about to lose my job and there's nothing I can do about it and I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet when you're facing relationship problems, when you're facing family problems, remember, rejoice in the Lord always. And so the question we have to ask is, where does our joy come from? Where does your joy come from? God can give you a surpassing joy. A joy that goes beyond your situation. And what we need to do when we, when we, if we could just answer that question and say, you know, I think my joy is based on my circumstances. My joy is based on whatever I'm going through. What you need to do this morning is simply you just need to confess, Lord, Lord I'm not finding my joy in You. Lord, I'm not finding my hope in You. I'm not finding my contentment in You. Lord, would You help me? Because if we're honest with ourselves, listen, Christian, if, you, if you're honest with yourself, You don't live here all the time in that joy. I don't live here all the time in that joy. I need God's constant help. You need God's constant help to give you rejoicing. Confess to the Lord your need for it and ask Him for help. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I just want to tell you that happiness is something for you that is so fleeting and, and you know this to be true, you know that, that the happiness that you experience is just going to last a while and then you're going to go through a hard time and then you know, your happiness is gone, your hope is gone. Come to the One this morning. Come to the One who can truly give you joy. Come to the One who you were made to have a relationship with. God designed us so that we would be in a relationship with Him, and that relationship would bring us the utmost joy. And so, when we live apart from God, and, and by our nature we do, by our nature we live in enmity with Him, we lived in rebellion against Him, by our very birth, by our very nature, we sin. And if that's you this morning and you've never, you've never come and, and, and received Christ, He is standing, waiting, and He's standing patiently saying, I can give you joy. I can give you a joy that abides that endures in the hardest times of your life. I can give you a hope that will never die. And more than that, I can forgive you of everything that you've ever done wrong. I can restore to you a relationship with God that can that can satisfy you like nothing else can. Come to the one that can give you joy. He tells us that we're to rejoice in the Lord and next he tells us that we should be known for selflessness. We should be known for selflessness. Look at the next verse there, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. (coughs) Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now that word, each translation does its own thing with that word because it's very hard to translate. Your reasonableness, my translation says. Other translations may say your gentleness. Others, you know, may put it different ways, but that word it means to not be insisting, not be insisting on every right of letter, of law, or custom. It means to be yielding, to be gentle, to be courteous, to be kind. And the idea here that you get is of gentle forbearance with other people. Gentle forbearance with other people. People, not contentious, not self-seeking, not insisting on your own way. What does that look like in everyday life for us as Christians? Well, it looks like us laying down our preferences for other people. It looks like us not insisting on our own agenda, not insisting on our own way. It looks like us thinking of other people's needs before we think of our own needs. Making sure that other person is taken care of before I am taken care of. It looks like us being tolerant when people disagree with us. It looks like us living in in unity with one another, even when we don't agree with other people necessarily in the body. I think this is illustrated so well. You think, well, Paul's writing this to the Philippian church. Well, what are they dealing with? You know, what what are they going through? This is the Philippians. If you've ever read it, it's one of the most encouraging letters you'll find in the New Testament. In fact, sometimes you look at it and you think, is this church struggling with anything? You know, this church has it together. And then Paul says, hey, no, let your your selflessness be known to all. Well, What's going on there? Well, actually, if you back up a couple of verses before our text, you kind of get the indication that there might be a problem going on there. Verse 2, he says this, I entreat Eudoia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, I just want to tell you, when you're the pastor, you have a certain perk that you get to pronounce biblical names however you want to. So, these two women, he's saying, hey, I want you to agree in the Lord. These two women were disagreeing on something, and it was causing division in the church. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You know, Well, hey, we finally got a letter from the Apostle Paul. We're so delighted. We're, we're so uh, you know, glad that this letter came in. Let's read it in front of the congregation. And can you imagine being these two women sitting on opposite ends of the church and the Apostle says, hey, you two ladies, you need to agree together. You need to get along together. Man, that's brutal. That is, that is brutal. And I don't know what they were fighting about. He doesn't tell us, does He? He says, I want you to agree in the Lord. Maybe it was the color of the carpet. Maybe it was the, the color of the walls or the chandeliers, or maybe it was you know, whether, to, you know, whether to do something one way or another way. We don't know. But right after, he, he tells them, hey, you need to agree in the Lord. You need to get along in the Lord. You need to set aside your, your differences and put the other one above yourself. Then He says, hey church, It's not just these two ladies. The whole church, the whole body needs to let your selflessness, your other-centeredness be put on display. And notice he says, he doesn't just say, I want you to be selfless. He says, I want your reasonableness, your selflessness to be known. To be known. In other words, it is a perception. It's not enough just for us to say, well, I'm a selfless person. I put other people's needs ahead of my own. The question is not that. The question is, can other people see your selflessness? Because let me just venture out there and say, if other people can't see your selflessness, if they can't see your gentleness, if they can't see your yieldingness, then chances are you're not that kind of person. Chances are if other people won't say about you, you know, that is one selfless person, chances are you're probably not. It is about being known for being that way. And not only being known to be that way, but it's about making decisions in our lives each and every day to put others first. To put others first. Are you doing that? Are you walking through your life and and putting others first? Are you making decisions every day in the little things, and the big things, are you making conscious decisions, intentional decisions, saying, I'm going to put this other person ahead of myself. I'm going to put this person, maybe in my job, maybe in my church, maybe you know, somebody I bump into, I'm going to put their needs ahead of my own. I'm going to, to think about them before I think about myself. And it may be somebody you don't like. It may be somebody you don't necessarily see eye to eye with. You've got to put their needs ahead of your own. You have to put their needs ahead of your own. And notice here, he gives the greatest encouragement for doing this. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And and literally, the that sentence is the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And, And you know, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about time? The Lord is near, as in the Lord's return is near? And you know, that would mean, hey, don't let him return to find you at enmity with other people in the church. Don't let him return to find you being selfish and putting your needs first. Or could it mean a a, a spatial dimension? The Lord is not just coming back soon, but the Lord is near to us spatially. He's right here next to us. His presence is near to us. And then that means that, that these commands that he gives, these, these encouragements that he gives, he's, he's encouraging us saying, hey, the Lord is near to you as you do this. I actually think he means both. I think he means both. I think he wants to encourage us and say, as you do these things, as you rejoice in the Lord always, as you live out a life that is others-centered, as you you go to the Lord in prayer and cast your anxieties on Him, know that the Lord is close to you. Know that you can feel His presence. But I think it also means, not just as an encouragement, but hey, the Lord is near. He's going to come back and you don't want to find Him being selfish when He returns. You want Him to find you being a faithful servant when He comes. He encourages us, he tells us to rejoice in the Lord, tells us to be known for our selflessness. Finally, he tells us to treat anxiety with prayer. To treat anxiety with prayer. This is what he says. He says, do not be anxious (coughs) about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. What does he mean to be anxious? What does he mean to be anxious, to be anxious? apprehensive to be unduly concerned well when we talk about anxiety you know certainly there's some types of anxiety that are good so there's certain types of anxiety you know it's a word we may say alarm you know in other words it's it alerts us to something that's important so that type of worry may be a good thing you know that's why we have something called an alarm clock It's not an anxiety clock, although it may be at my house. It's not an anxiety clock. It's not there to cause undue concern, but it's there to say, hey, you need to wake up. You need to wake up to what's going on around you. Maybe if it's not an alarm, another type of good anxiety is is concern. You know, have you ever heard heard it said, you know, "I, I really worry about you. I really worry about you. How are you doing? That type of concern, it's not necessarily anxiety, it's not necessarily bad. It's just saying, I'm really concerned about you. I think about you. I pray about you. I want to know how you're doing. That type of concern for each other that is biblical, that is good. But the anxiety that he's talking about is a bad type of anxiety. An anxiety that is an intense desire for something and is accompanied by a fear of of the consequences of not receiving that something. In other words, we worry about not having something, and we worry about what that would mean for us if we don't get it. Bad anxiety. And what, what makes us anxious in this life? Money? Sickness? Loss? Work? Family? You name it. Just about everything in our lives has the potential to make us anxious, to make us unduly worry. And what what, what does that do to us when we are anxious? What does it do to us? Well, first of all, we're not going to have joy or peace. We're not going to be rejoicing in the Lord when we have this anxiety. We're not going to be living selfless lives. We're not going to be on mission together when you're filled with anxiety and you're not rejoicing in the Lord. I'm sorry, you're not going to want to tell other people about Jesus no contentment, no joy, but not just in these spiritual things, but also it manifests physically, doesn't it? Here's a list I compiled of some things that uh, physically that, that anxiety does to you. Unusual mood swings, irritability, anger, sweating, rapid heartbeat, chest pain, exhaustion, nervous twitching, decreased concentration in memory, nausea, shortness of breath, weight gain, weight loss, panic indecisiveness, <coughs> canker sores, muscle tension, insomnia, self-medicating, high blood pressure, eating comfort foods. Can I get a witness? Reckless driving. And more. Think of all these things that anxiety does to us. All these external things that it does. How are we supposed to find anxiety? Well, this is what Paul says. Paul basically says, here's how you find Anxiety. You give it to God and pray, and you let God worry about it. You give it to God, let God worry about it. You stop worrying about it and let Him do it. He says to make your requests known to God. Make your requests known to God. How do we do that? Through prayer and supplication. We do that through prayer and supplication. Uh, one, one Bible scholar says this, I have yet to meet a chronic worrier who has a good prayer life. I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who has an excellent prayer life. That's the, the treatment for anxiety. Pray. Let your requests be known to God. This is the way 1 Peter says it. The Apostle Peter says, cast your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Because He cares for you. What are we supposed to pray for? What are we supposed to cast on Him? What does the text say? It says everything. In everything, we are to go to Him and let it be known. So that means it does not matter how small you think it is. Pray. It doesn't matter how big it is. Pray. It doesn't matter where it is in the middle in that spectrum. You need to pray. You need to cast your anxieties, cast your cares on Him. And this is what the Lord Jesus Himself said. He said, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. How they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly Father such as cares for you and me. Church, we do have a Heavenly Father that cares for us. We do have a Master that is compassionate and kind, that cares about our every need. He says to come to Him in prayer with thankfulness. With thankfulness. Thankfulness is at the heart of our prayers. Thankfulness is at the heart of the prayer, our prayers. Grateful people pray often. When we're grateful, we pray. And at the heart of it, gratitude is not just the content of our prayers. It's not just, you know, we're praying prayers of thanksgiving and prayers thanking God, but thankfulness is the motivation for our prayers. Thankfulness is the motivation. In other words, when we are ungrateful, we're not going to want to pray when we're ungrateful, we're not going to want to cast our anxieties on Him. When we're not thankful for what He's done for us, we're not going to, with prayer and supplication, let our requests be made known to God. And so I just want to circle back around and say the very first thing where he starts this with rejoicing in the Lord is so evident throughout. Because the rejoicing that we have in the Lord and asking Him to help us rejoice in Him, helping us to be thankful, helping us to be joyful, that's the very same thing, listen, that's the very same thing that's going to get us through the anxiety, that's going to get us through the hard times in our life as we pray. As we are are rejoicing and as we are thankful, we are going to be motivated to cast our anxieties all the more on Him. And what is the result? What is the result of all of these things? And the peace. Do you want peace? Do you want joy? And the peace that surpasses all understanding, that goes beyond what we think is possible. That's like the Apostle Paul, he says in Ephesians 3 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Far more abundantly as we're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, as we walk through anxiety, as we walk through worry, we can have a peace that is beyond our comprehension. We can have a peace when the world looks on and says, You should have no peace. And I'll tell you, I have been at the hospital bed of people who are dying who don't know the Lord and whose family doesn't know the Lord. And I've been at the hospital bed of people who know the Lord. And I tell you, any time, I would rather be at the ones who know the Lord because there is a peace that you cannot explain to the doctors. There is a peace that you cannot explain to the onlookers around, to the mourners that are around. Because when we are in Christ, when we cast our anxieties on Him, He gives us peace. He gives us peace. And and don't, don't forget the foundation of it all. What we saw in the verses right before, the Lord is near. The Lord is near, therefore don't be anxious about anything. With prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. The bottom line, church, is this. God promises to give us unexplainable peace when we pray. Take Him at His Word. Believe His promise. Believe His promise. And so, the question is, do we believe His promise? Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him more than the situations that we see around us? Do we trust Him? Do we hope in Him more than we can see with our eyes? Because honestly, we're not going to pray if we don't trust Him. We're not going to pray if we don't trust Him. Do we trust His promise that He will work out all things in our life for good? Do we trust His promise that He will never leave us nor forsake us? Do we believe His promise that He is for us? Do we believe His promise I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or His children begging for bread. Do we believe His promise? Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because You are with me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. We believe his promise. In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we believe his promise? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Or persecution? No. Or famine? No. Or nakedness? No. Or danger? No. Or sword? No. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we believe His promise? Do we believe the Lord Himself when He promises us, Behold, I am with you always. We can have joy and peace because he is near to us. We can have joy and peace because he is near to us. So therefore, because he is near, we should rejoice in the Lord. A joy that goes beyond our circumstances. Therefore, we should be known for our selflessness because he is near And therefore, we should treat anxiety with prayer. He's near to us. Cast our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. Christian, do you trust the promises of God this morning? Do you trust? Do you take Him at His word? God's aim is for us to be joyful in Himself. For us to be joyful in Himself. And that joy overflows in selflessness. That joy overflows in peace. So this morning, I invite you, if you're a Christian, to renew your commitment to prayer. Renew your commitment to prayer. Renew your commitment. Maybe you're you're slipping a little bit. Maybe you're, you're not as dedicated to it as you once were. Renew your commitment to it because that's where the peace comes from. That's where the rejoicing comes from our prayer, our closet, as we kneel down before God. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this morning I encourage you to receive the One who promises you everlasting joy. Receive the One who promises you everlasting joy. God's aim is to bring you into a relationship with Himself. That's His agenda. That's what He wants to do. And how does He do that? He does it Because He met your greatest need. Before God can welcome you, He must take care of your sin. And He did that at the cross. Jesus lived. Jesus, who is fully God and truly man, lived a life that is perfectly righteous that you and I should have lived. And He died on the cross in our place. And His blood satisfies the penalty Of our wrong. It satisfies the penalty of our rebellion. And so that means simply for you, if you're not a Christian, Jesus is saying there's nothing more that stands between you and God. You can come to Him and He will have you. You can't can't be so far away from Him that He won't take you. You can't be so far away that He won't hear you. Call on Him in prayer to save you. Repent of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Cling to Him. Cling to Him. And He will save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Father, we believe your promises. And Lord, we cling to them. We cling to the fact that You are for us. That You are with us. That nothing will ever separate us from Your love. But Father, we cling most of all to the cross. The greatest promise that You've ever made. Because Lord, how do we know that You love us? How do we know, Lord, that You care for us? How do we know that we serve a loving God? And Lord, it's because we look to the cross. We look to the fact that You did not spare Your own Son, but gave Him up for us all. And that You with Him are graciously giving us all things. You give us the things that we need. You've adopted us into Your family. You care for our every need, no matter how insignificant we think it is. And Lord, we just don't know how it could get any better. We don't know, Lord, how You could be so good to us. And Lord, we don't say that when it, just because everything's going great. We say that, Lord, even when things are falling apart. Like for many of us, things are falling apart. So, Lord, help us to have joy. Help us, Lord, to have hope in Christ alone. Amen.